Amen. Great song, great truth, great job. Do a whole sermon on what it meant when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. We're going to preach about something else tonight, but that's a good subject. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We recently, as many of you know, started a uh, 14 message uh, series on Sunday nights of random thoughts that I put together uh, several weeks ago now from my stack of sermon ideas card. Last Sunday night we talked about keeping the lamp burning. We saw how Samuel, as a 12-year-old boy, kept the golden candlestick burning that had at that time been burning for 300 years straight. Eli, the high priest, of course, was responsible for keeping it burning, but he was old, he was blind, and Samuel uh, slept in the holy place to keep that lamp burning. And that golden candlestick with its seven burning lamps pictured the Holy Spirit who is providing the only light in that dark room, light that shined on furniture, each of which pictured the Lord Jesus either in his person or his work. And we reminded ourselves last Sunday night that we are part of something ancient. A lamp that was lit by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, started burning 2,000 years ago and each generation since then has had a responsibility to keep that lamp burning for their generation. We talked about how someone in each family uh, needs to stand up and keep the lamp burning. We talked about how young people need to step up and keep the lamp burning. We talked about how oftentimes it isn't someone with a position or a title who keeps the lamp burning. And we closed talking about how people who are older need to step up and keep the lamp burning as long as they're able. And I hope when we finished up, each one of us felt some kind of new motivation and exhortation to uh, keep Christ's light burning in our generation and in our own families. Tonight, uh, I would like to talk about overcoming. The book of Revelation has three sections. It has a past tense section, a present tense section, and a future tense section when John was inspired by God to write it. And the present tense section of the book of Revelation is chapters 2 and 3. And in those chapters, Jesus is, addresses seven literal assemblies of believers uh, in Asia. And with thousands of churches by that time to choose from, we know that uh, there was some special reason Jesus selected those seven churches. Uh, first and foremost, of course, what he said to them were personal messages to those seven assemblies of believers. And many speculate, though we're not told this directly, and I believe these things, that uh, they reflect first the types of churches that would exist in all ages, and secondly, I believe they reflect, generally speaking, the conditions of the Lord's churches from the time when Jesus himself started and pastored the first church while he was doing ministry prior to his death and resurrection, and will continue all the way to he returns in the clouds. In other words, the first one of those churches, Ephesus, uh, reflects the earliest church, and the church in the seventh one, Laodicea, the church in general when Christ returns. But for sure, and without question, uh, there are seven local assemblies of churches. And there were several things that Jesus said to all seven of those churches. And tonight, I want to focus on one of them. Did you know that you can overcome whatever circumstances you come from 
and you can overcome whatever difficulty it is you're facing today. There is hope. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, the tell of my thought tonight is to him that overcometh, which is a phrase that is in all seven of these messages to local churches. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, under the angel, that's the messenger, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them that are evil, which are evil, and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. Now remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Thank you, you might be seated. During the book of Acts, the church of Ephesus was one of the strongest churches in the New Testament times. But by the time John is writing here, uh, it's 40 or 45 years later, he's exiled on the island of Patmos, and it's been a long time since the church started. Uh, those who were the first generation of believers, those who started the church from the key leaders uh, early on, they would have passed off the scene. And by this time, it would have been the children and grandchildren of those first generation believers who were the leaders in the church there and the workers there in Ephesus. By the way, thank God, they were still faithfully serving. But at that time, they were slowly losing their heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, believers are not intentional in preventing it. Each successive generation of believers will become less and less excited about their faith. Thank God, according to verses 2 and 3, they were working and serving. It says, I know thy works and thy labor, thy patience, and now thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. These second and third generation believers, listen, they, they didn't abandon the faith. They were still there. They were serving. They were doing a lot of good things, but they unfortunately, according to Jesus, did not have the same excited love for him while they did them according to verse 4 he says i have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love you see anybody who is a second or third generation christian uh if your faith is going to mean something to you you're going to have to pay something for it listen your parents or your grandparents paying a price to have their faith is not sufficient for your faith to mean a lot to you you are going to have to choose to do this. And these, thank God, had chose to serve and stay faithful to the Lord's church. But unfortunately, their heart was growing cold. Now, salvation is a gift of God. Jesus paid it all. But discipleship uh, costs us something. There's a reason that Jesus likened his disciple to taking up their cross. Discipleship is supposed to be difficult and cost us something. And Jesus, 
Uh, but by the way, these weren't believers who were ignoring the church. They were not believers who refused to do ministry. They were not believers who were living in willful defiance against Christ. They were believers who were serving in a church who just served and let their heart grow cold. And Jesus made it clear to them that they could overcome the difficulty of being busy without heart. In verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Notice Jesus did not say when you overcome. He didn't say when you overcome because overcoming is not a sure thing. He said to him that overcometh because Jesus knew that some of the believers there would overcome and others, unfortunately, would not. You see, when Christ was in their life and with God's word in their hands, overcoming was always possible but never guaranteed. This special promise is linked to special access to the tree of life in heaven. Now, to be honest with you, I would have thought that all believers had access to the tree of life in heaven. I don't know exactly what this means. The tree of life lines, the, the river of life flows down through that city, and on either side of that river is the tree of life, and that city is 1,200 miles plus along. And so th this is a tree that is a gigantic tree that goes on for hundreds of miles. I don't know what this means. I don't know if there's some parts of the tree some have access to and other parts do not. Uh, here's what I do know for sure. Uh, God is not a communist, and some people in the kingdom of God will be rewarded and others will not, and some people in heaven will have privileges that others do not. I do not understand this. All I know is Jesus made it clear that they could overcome, and he had something special in store for those who did. I'm glad that you can overcome a cold heart to serve Christ once again, like you served him in times past. Now, each of these messages, and we're going to look at blurbs in each of them, to the seven churches in Asia, have something uh, where Jesus gives them uh, the potential to overcome. There were two churches to whom Jesus, he basically either had nothing good at all to say or barely anything good at all to say, and he says, hey, you guys can overcome. There were two churches where he did not have anything negative to say. He did not tell them to repent. Everything he had to say to them was positive. And even to those two churches, he opened a door to give them an opportunity that even from those good environments, they could overcome. There were three of the seven churches that had a mixture of things. The church of Ephesus is one of them, where Jesus had some good things to say and something that concerned them. And he made them a promise that they could overcome, and each time there is a unique promise for anyone who decided to overcome. I don't understand what each promise means. By the way, neither does anybody else. There are clear things in the Bible. There are vague things in the Bible. And there are things about which the Bible is silent. Uh, this much is clear. You can overcome, and Jesus has something special if you choose to do so. Which brings up a good question. Why would Jesus invite believers in every church to overcome and make a special promise to those who choose to do so? Why would he do that? Here's why. Because every believer has things they must overcome to be faithful. You know, sometimes I think we have a tendency to look around and say, wow, 
you know what, if they had the background that I had, they wouldn't overcome. If they were facing what I'm facing, they wouldn't overcome. See, we somehow always, and I don't know if it's just a part of our fallen nature, we always assume that uh, someone else has it easier than we do, and that somehow our background and God is to blame rather than our choices for whether or not we overcome. Let me just say, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what has happened to you, by the grace of God and the truth of God and good decisions, you can overcome. No matter where you look tonight, everyone has private battles, weaknesses, crosses, difficulties, and trials. Everywhere you look. Now, some believers' trials are better hidden than others. Some are more private than others. Other people's trials are right out there in the open for everyone to see, by the way, and be encouraged by the faith that they exercise to overcome them. But everyone can overcome. Listen, there, there's a reason uh, Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There's a reason Jesus told Paul, uh, my grace is sufficient for thee. I, I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what you've gone through recently. I don't know what you faced in the past uh, and, or what you've endured for years. I, I don't know. I know this. God is sufficient, and you can overcome. That means everybody here tonight, there's a reason that you can live with hope. You can know that God will be faithful to you. You can know that there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but that God will with the temptation always make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You can overcome. Which brings up a question, what kind of obstacles and difficulties did these early believers face through which Jesus gave them opportunity to overcome. Uh, first, we see that you can overcome in a church like Ephesus, where you're serving, but your heart has grown cold. Uh, we read his promise to overcome in verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat, and so on and so forth. Say, so how can you overcome? He gives the answer in the beginning of verse 5. How do you overcome serving with a cold heart? Verse 5, remember, therefore, from whence art fallen. Repent. Do the first works. Well, how, how, how do you overcome? Remember. Go, go back and think of the heart you used to serve with. Go, go back and remember why you started doing what you're doing. Oh, remember the children that you work with. Remember the adults that you work with. Remember what they're going through. Go back and think. Remember, and it'll help you find your heart. And that's how you overcome serving with a cold heart. Remember, repent, and do what you used to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever pray that God would help you serve with heart? Do you ever pray when you read your Bible, God, help me to read my Bible today with heart? Do you ever, before you pray, do you say, God, please help me pray with my heart? When you come to the Lord's church, do you ever pray before you come, Lord, help me tonight to sing with my heart, to pray with my heart, to listen with my heart. Do you ever pray like that? Do you know what? That would be a good idea. Because the fruit of the Spirit, first and foremost, of the nine things, is love. 
And so if we've lost our first love, the way to get it back is to yield to the Spirit of God. Uh, Listen, I'm sure I'm not the only one here who has to guard my heart from going through the motions of what I'm supposed to do. I would be highly surprised if every person here who's tried to be faithful to Jesus for any length of time wouldn't say, you know what, there was times when I really was just going through the motions. Every one of us. You know what, I don't want to be like that. I, I don't. But my heart is fallen and twisted and deceitful just like yours is. And so we must seek God. Seek his help. Do you need to overcome a cold heart tonight? You can. Uh, Have you lost heart for the people here? Have you lost heart for the ministries here? Have you lost heart for the people to whom you minister? Have you lost heart for our staff? Have you lost heart for our deacons? What have you lost heart for? Listen, you can find it. You can overcome. But it's not just we can overcome our heart growing cold uh, and hurting our service to Christ. Secondly, we can overcome in a church like Smyrna that's suffering persecution. Uh, Look at verses 8 through 11 in chapter 2. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and alive. By by the way, before we go on, Smyrna is one of the two churches he doesn't say anything bad to. Verse 9, he says, I know thy works, tribulation, and poverty. Thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Here it is. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Listen, even in Smyrna, they needed to overcome. They were facing poverty, tribulation, as well as opposition from Jews in their city. They had some big trial coming that was going to last 10 days. And though not as severe in America as some places in the world, listen, I think the people in the room tonight, we understand there's a growing opposition to biblical Christianity in our country. There are people here tonight you face opposition for your faith in your own family. Your own family, they, in many cases, they're believers, but they're not serious about their faith, and they mock and ridicule you for being more serious about yours. There's people here, you face opposition from friends and all kinds of things for being a faithful follower of Jesus. Hey, hey, listen, you can overcome. Say, how? He gives us the answer in verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. How do you overcome? Uh, Fight your fears. How do you overcome? Be faithful unto death. How do you overcome? Know that Jesus has a special reward for those who overcome their opposition and persecution. Listen, isn't it a wonderful thing that he promises a crown of life to those who overcome their op- opposition? I mean, one of the things that's going to happen in heaven uh, someday when we're there is the seraphim are going to cry out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, omnipotent, reigneth. And uh, 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 the elders there in them 24 chairs are going to throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And I, it doesn't specifically say, but you know what? 
Uh, I think everybody that has crowns are going to throw them at the feet of Jesus, and I want something to throw. Uh, you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't want something to throw too. Hey, salvation is by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. But discipleship costs something. Rewards are given to those who believe, who choose to do the things that God has asked us to do. I want a crown to throw. Uh, <laughs> fear is contagious. So COVID's contagious. Listen, fear is contagious. Parents can pass their fears to their children. Fearing the worst scenario to which our minds are inclined, it's destroyed a lot of good people. Listen, it's fear rather than faith that fuels our anxieties. Do you ever pray for God to calm your fears? Do you ever claim God's promises when you're afraid? Do you use God's recipe of replacing fearful thoughts with good thoughts when you're recognizing fear, get the best of you. Do you do that? Listen, there are things in all of our lives we can't control. Uh, if I ask for hands to go up, if you're the kind of person that likes to have everything under control, my hand would be up. I don't like things that are out of control. Uh, you know what? I don't get to control everything. And you don't either. So Brother Waller, what should I do? Control everything you can and trust God with everything you can't. And so that means that all of us are going to have to face some of these fears. But the good news is, is that we can overcome. <laughs> do you need to overcome your fear of the future? Do you need to overcome your fear of tomorrow's difficulties? You say, what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. God's going to be in his throne. It's going to be okay somehow. You can't. And God has special promises to any one of his children who decide that they will respond to their fears with faith and decide to be faithful and look to what God has in store. But it isn't just that we can overcome our fears and the difficulties of following Christ when others make it hard for us to do that. Here's the third thing. You can overcome in a church like Pergamos where false doctrine abounds. We won't read the whole account of them because it's a little long, but in verse 14 of chapter 2, as Jesus describes a church there, he says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I also hate. Uh... Repent, <laughs> or else I'll come unto thee quickly, and I'll fight against them with uh, the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, and to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in a stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Listen, uh, the believers in Ephesus, their battle was within them, with their infections. The believers in Smyrna, their battle was with forces outside the church, opposition and persecution. The believers in Pergamos, they were facing difficulty in the church. And in this case, difficulty caused by some in the church promoting false doctrine. Now for our purpose tonight, it doesn't matter what exactly the doctrine of Balaam is or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was, but listen, uh, 
It is interesting to note that Jesus hated those two doctrines in his churches. Hated. Uh, believers who think doctrine doesn't matter or that Jesus doesn't care about doctrine, listen, that's an idolatrous view of Jesus. Here we're very clearly told uh, Jesus hated those two doctrines. The interesting thing about these two doctrines is neither one of them are directly linked to the gospel. And all over our country are people saying, listen, if it's a, not a doctrine linked to a doctrine linked to the gospel, it doesn't matter. Listen, that's a lie. Uh, I'm not implying every doctrine has the same weight, but listen, uh, Jesus cares about doctrine, and he has some doctrines he hates. Uh, <laughs> now, I would not be so foolish ever as to think everybody here believes every statement on our Bible Baptist doctrine. Now, if you're going to be a deacon here or on a staff here, you do have to publicly say, I believe these doctrines. But hear me when I say no one has the right to come here and try to change the doctrinal position of this church. Listen, it, it, the, our doctrinal position was established 17 years ago before we even started. I put it on our website. Listen, most churches today, they hide their doctrine. I, I'm not trying to hide our doctrine. I don't I'm not looking for everybody who comes here to bring in every kind of wind of, of, of crazy doctrine. I'm not looking for that. Listen, I'm perfectly content with anybody who says, you know what, uh, I believe those, or I can tolerate that. It's who we are. And no one has the right, you, you don't have the right to come in here and change it. And whether you realize it or not, most churches today, they're not like Bible Baptist Church with a clear doctrinal foundation. And for anybody in those kinds of churches where false doctrine is tolerated, listen, believers can overcome that to be faithful to Christ and sound doctrine. And for anybody here or in churches like this one and you feel narrowed, uh, boxed in by our doctrine as it's taught and promoted, listen, you can overcome too. By yielding to the Spirit of God. So, sound doctrine doesn't narrow us. Sound doctrine gives us a solid foundation upon which to have unity. Say, so, well, Brother Wally, how can I overcome sound doctrine? Listen, uh, there's some of you, you deal with this in your family. You have people in your family, and, and, you, and you love them. And in many cases, they're actually uh, faithful believers in Jesus, but their doctrine in some area, I mean, you know is a mess. You know, how do I overcome that? Uh, Jesus gives us the answer uh, there in verse 16. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You say, how do I overcome? You repent, you change directions, and you understand that the sword <laughs> that's coming out of Jesus' mouth, his words are the foundation that you get your doctrine from. Do you care about sound doctrine? All false doctrine has at its roots spiritual immaturity or ignorance of God's word or spiritual pride. Can I tell you something that's in our human nature? We all want to feel like we've found something in the Bible nobody else ever seen. We all want to feel like God showed us something and everybody else is wrong. That, that's a part 
of our fallen nature. Whereas in reality, in opposition to that, our safety is understanding that there have literally been thousands and thousands and thousands of Bible readers and Bible believers who hold the doctrinal position we have. Do you need to overcome bad doctrine from your past? Do you need to overcome your desire to change the doctrine here? You can. You can overcome. Do you need to overcome not yet recognizing sound doctrine from false doctrine? Do you need to overcome not caring about doctrine? You can. Yeah, I, listen, I, I, I get it. Some people, by virtue of their spiritual gifts and their personalities, you're like, eh, doctrine, who cares? If you look on a list of reasons people choose a church, in most cases, doctrine isn't even in the top ten reasons. Whereas to me, that should be number one. Listen, you can overcome that attitude. But it's not just that any believer can overcome their exposure to false doctrine. Here's number four. You can overcome in a church like Sardis that's mostly dead. Now, I would love to spend more time on this, but I don't. But in, because I think it's so applicable to what's going on around us today. In Revelation 3, verse 1, it says, And unto the angel the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works. Here it is. That thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. So according to Jesus, what was his spiritual assessment of that place? Dead. Uh, how did people assess that place? What was their name? You're alive. Jesus said, no, you're dead. Verse two, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. So there's some things hanging on that are ready to die that were right. It says, for I've not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they're worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I'll not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I wish I had more time on this tonight, but some people make the mistake of thinking that everyone in a dead or compromised church are away from God and do not love Jesus Christ. Others make the mistake of thinking that everyone in a faithful and a true church is close to God and loves the Lord. <laughs> Here, here's the, the truth. If there were believers in Sardis that Jesus said, hey, listen, there's a few names there. We're going to strengthen the things that remain. We're going to walk with me in white. Listen, if there was some people in Sardis like that in a dead church, there's good believers in any church that's preaching any of the truth. There are faithful believers in compromise in dead churches, and there are lukewarm believers and tares, T-A-R-E-S, in good churches. Uh, maybe you're not like this, but years ago I kind of used to think, Everybody in a compromised church was compromised, and I used to think everybody in a good church was faithful. You know, I'd meet somebody from a, a church that had such a great reputation, and I'm like, huh? You go there? Listen, there's plenty of spiritual deadness in America, 
even in places people say are alive, and it's encouraging to know that believers can overcome deadness to please Christ and be specially rewarded. And that's what he says in verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I'll not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my Father and before the holy angels. Say, what's all that mean? I don't know what it all means, but I do know this. I think it would be a wonderful thing to have Jesus stand up and say, by the way, I just want everybody to know, Father, I know you're listening. Angels here. Look up here. Angels. That guy there was faithful in a dead church. I would like that. Uh, Listen, being called out by Jesus, that's a pretty good thing for overcoming deadness, isn't it? Do you need to overcome? (laughs) Say, how do I do it? Verse three, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Remember, go back to what you learned. Go back to what the Bible says. Go back to the people that taught you the truth. He says, remember, remember that. And you'll overcome. You see, God hasn't changed and the Bible hasn't changed and the things that moved God in, uh, to use those early disciples in the book of Acts uh, to change their world, they're the same things he's looking to bless today. By the way, I believe God blesses what you did tonight. You came to church. I believe God blesses just doing what's right. Maybe you're beginning to let go of some of the good things you've heard and received. Are you giving in to the deadness? You don't have to. Listen, there, there, there's people in here like me that have no real biblical foundation. There's people in here, and by the grace of God, you were placed in a home where you had sometimes one, sometimes two godly, faithful parents. Are you giving up on some of that stuff? You don't have to. You don't have to give in to the deadness. You can overcome. I, I know our day and age is characterized by complacency, and, uh, but you don't have to give in to it. It's not just that believers, though, can overcome spiritual deadness to be specially blessed and rewarded. Number five, you can overcome in a church like Philadelphia that was thriving. And we don't have time again to read the whole thing, but let's read what Jesus says about them. By the way, this is the second church he says nothing bad about. One of my prayers on a regular basis is God help Bible Baptist Church to be a Philadelphia church in a Laodicean day. God help me be a Philadelphia Christian in a generation of believers characterized by Laodicean Christians. Notice when Jesus describes them in verse 8 of Revelation 3 in the church in Philadelphia, he says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, hast kept my word, hast not denied my name. Those are the three qualities there. They have a little strength, not a lot, not none. They've kept his word. They did not deny his name. What's Jesus going to do? Verse 9, Behold, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I'll make them to come and to worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. (laughs) Boy, what a wonderful thing in the beginning of verse 8, that Jesus has an open door to those who've kept his word and not denied his name. Well, what a testimony to have Jesus say, despite the opposition, hey, you know what, by the way, 
uh, you didn't like that church, I loved it. To have Jesus say, you know what, you guys over there, you, you didn't like how seriously they took their faith, and you didn't like uh, all, all that stuff they preached and taught, you know what, I loved it. Wouldn't it be a great thing? And though we might not think like this, people in a church like this need to overcome too. Hear me, you can fail in any environment. You can grow up and be placed by God in a home with two godly, faithful parents who love Jesus and love you, and you still have to make your own choices. You can grow up in a church like this one, and by the way, there are still thousands of churches like this one around where the word of God is preached and taught and people are serious about their faith and God's hand is on what's going on. Listen, you can uh, reject what's going on here. Uh, You still have to overcome. Listen, it's easy to fall asleep here. It's easy to hide in the crowd here. It's easy. You, uh, listen, it's easy to come here and our music at this time, uh, for the most part, it's good enough that you can be entertained by it. Listen, it wasn't always like that. I mean, I used to lead the music, start with the mic up, put it down after the three words. Listen, it wasn't always like that. Um, You can slip by here. But you also can overcome. You still need to overcome, even in the best of environments. See, all over this room are are people who take the quality of our singing and ministry and messages here for granted. Uh, You need to overcome. All over this room are people who take your parents and the spiritual foundation that you were given for granted, and today you're pretty complacent about it. You need to overcome. But it's not just that believers can overcome healthy and sound spiritual homes and churches to be specially rewarded by Jesus. Lastly, tonight, you can overcome in a lukewarm church like Laodicea where Christ stands outside the door knocking to get in. Notice as Jesus describes the church in the city of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. By the way, spew is just a sophisticated word for vomit. I don't know whether it's better to be a dead church like Sardis or a church that makes Jesus spew like Laodicea. Uh but either one, it's not good. But despite the terrible condition of the church and the believers in Laodicea, they could still overcome. And that's what Jesus says to them in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Say, How do I fix my lukewarmness? Decide to be zealous. <laughs> repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And I know people most often use that verse as a salvation verse about Jesus knocking on the door of people's hearts. And and that's really, that's an acceptable application, but that's not the interpretation. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is outside the door of the church in Laodicea knocking for them to let him back in. 
And then in verse 21, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, sat down with my father in his throne. Uh, say, you can't overcome. I don't know what's harder to overcome, deadness or lukewarmness. My gut feel is that it's harder to overcome lukewarmness than deadness. Because when you're lukewarm, you still talk a good talk. But you don't have a walk that backs up all this talk. Uh, Listen, it's very easy to say or sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In fact, he said that three times. If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you've grown lukewarm, the good news is you can overcome. Listen, all over this room are people, you've become complacent. You don't really care if you come to service or not. I'm sure there's people who, they were here this morning, maybe some here tonight, and honestly, you're disappointed that I didn't cancel. Or move our church service time so we could listen to the Super Bowl. Uh, Listen, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, Lord willing, when I get home. If my recording thing worked, if it doesn't, I'll survive. I am a football fan. You might not be, so you might not care. I do care. Uh, Listen, all over our church, and maybe even in this room tonight, you, you know, listen, you don't really care if you read your Bible anymore. You don't care whether or not you pray when you're not in trouble. You don't care if anybody's being saved. You don't care if anybody's obeying Christ in baptism. You don't care if anybody's making Bible Baptist Church their church. Does, does, it, does it move you to pray more seriously when you, you look at our bulletin at the end of the month and there are no additions that month? Am I the only person? I mean, what's going to stir our hearts? Listen, being complacent and lukewarm, it's literally the easiest thing to be. Well, I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe Jesus is coming again. You know what? Don't bother me with all the the, the faithfulness stuff. I plead with you tonight, if that's you, repent. Decide to be more zealous. Decide to live like Jesus really matters. You don't have to give in to the lukewarmness of your family or our culture or the lukewarmness each of our hearts has a tendency to. Listen, you can overcome. And Jesus is knocking at the door uh, hoping that you let him in. In fact, all over this room are people, you've overcome incredible obstacles by the grace of God. You're here on a Sunday night, on Super Bowl Sunday night. There's something in you that just says, you know what, I, I want more than a casual view and casual way to follow Jesus. I, I really, I want to be faithful. That, that's, a why, that's why you're here. All of this room are people that overcame poverty to be productive. All of this room are people overcame being fit, raised in a false religion to instead believe the Bible and follow Jesus. All over this room are people who've overcome being raised in divided, abusive, and unchristian homes to build instead a marriage and a home that's stable and loving and secure. People here have overcome a terrible childhood twisted by the evil deeds of someone 
people here have overcome a past marred by willful, presumptuous sins to today live sincerely for Jesus. Many have overcome a past marred by Christian complacency, Christian apathy, and worldliness. And tonight, that's just not you. You're just, listen, you want to follow zealously. You want to be faithful to the Jesus Christ. And to you who've overcome your private battles that no one knows but the Lord, just say, Jesus has your back. He's got your hand. He's well aware. And it'll be worth it. He's got special things for you. And if he were standing here instead of me, one of the things I know he would say to you is you can overcome whatever it is you're facing. We're all facing something. It's not too big. Not too much. You can make it. If you'd quietly stand.